Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so excited to get to have the opportunity to speak this morning, and uh, so grateful to Brian for giving me the opportunity. Look forward to him getting to be back with us, hopefully soon. And I feel, you know, um, in Malawi, the position I had, I often had to had to speak at the end and kind of protocol. In many events, there were a lot of speakers, and so by the time you get to the end, there's not a lot left to say, but I always had that role, and I always had to say something. I kind of feel like that today, after Terry's prayer, and the worship, and, and the communion talk, that, man, it's just such a blessing to get to be here, and be present, and be part of this congregation. Some of you know, it was mentioned earlier that that Becca, my wife, and our three kids, Braylon, Brooklyn, and Britton, lived in Malawi for the last 10 years, and we moved back about a year ago, and we have just felt so blessed to be a part of this congregation and to, to get to know you all. You've made us feel like family, so thank you for that. We're, we're grateful to be with you. So we'll talk about Malawi some, but I want to start with a story. When I was in college at Tech, uh, I was part of a missions class. It was called Perspectives. And it was a, it's a unique class where each week a new teacher comes in, usually a missionary or somebody with mission, ministry experience of some kind. And one week it was a man named Don Richardson, who's a fairly well-known author in the missions world, at least. And he ended up staying with my parents for the night somehow. My parents are here as well, which is, which is great. But because he did, me and my brothers were able to, to go over and visit with him. And he told this this story about him and his wife. They were missionaries in Indonesia, in New Guinea, and they worked with a tribe called the Sawi people. Now, this, this tribe was unique in several ways, but one way specifically is that they had a value. They valued betrayal above other values in their culture. Betrayal was one of the highest values, which is, which is interesting. Well, after a period of time, Don and his wife, they, they shared Jesus with this tribe. And they told the story, told the story of Jesus and Passover and the crucifixion. And they get to the end, and people are kind of laughing. Because Jesus wasn't the hero of the story, right? Who does the betraying work in that story? Judas. So Judas is the hero of this story. And I mean, I'm sure for them, you know, at that time, a lot of things going through the mind. Like, how on earth... Are we going to share the gospel with a people who see Judas as the hero and the infinite son of God is kind of seen as the sucker who got betrayed, right? That's not a good title for, for Jesus. That's not a good starting place. And so they, they stay for a while. And after some time, they become aware of a custom, another custom in this tribe. So while betrayal was highly valued, it also obviously created chaos and fear. But they had this, this custom that if one family would give a child to the other tribe, as long as that child stayed alive, there would be peace between the two tribes. So they called it the peace child. And so the Richardsons heard that, I think, and they said, that's it. That's, that's how we share the gospel. And so they did. And they said, Jesus is the peace child. Jesus is the one that God gave to us. And we were supposed to treat him well, but we killed him. But he did that to demonstrate his love towards us. And the people got it. You know? And that's an awesome story because there's a culture there that God had been at work in 
long, long ago and put in place this, this, this facet within their culture to perfectly receive Jesus, though it looked very different, right? And when I heard this, I was just, I remember just being in awe, like, oh man, wow. And I thought, you know, everything for me kind of expanded in, in you know, before scripture was scripture and you, you don't really mess with it, but now like scripture is, you know, the, the idea of living and active, the word of God is living and active, took on a new meaning, right? And before, before I would have thought more of the missionary purpose, you know, and going, we're going to take the gospel and to bring Jesus to people. But now there's this picture of, of God having been at work from the beginning for a long time doing things. The writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes 3.11. And the spirit of God, the eternity in men's hearts, God calling people to himself from the beginning of time. And Augustine you know, says, we are restless until we find our rest in God. So that day I began, I began wondering, you know, my, my own spiritual life took a step forward and it kind of expanded and I began wondering how many other cultures are there in the world where, where God has prepared himself? What places within our own culture exist where God has prepared to reveal himself in every tribe and in every language and in every nation and in every people? Amen? And I thought, I want to be, I want to be a part of that. I want to I join that picture. So, I want to talk today about scripture and culture and journey, this idea of walking with God. And Doyle told me that um, he reminded me, knowing that I've been in Africa, that African time is different than American time. So I'm going to be aware of that, though watching the service today, freedom seemed to be encouraged. So we'll see. We'll see how long. But I, I want to start with a question um, based kind of, kind of, even though you just heard that story, I wonder how many of you thought before hearing the peace child as, you know, the peace child analogy, betrayal as hero, how many thought, why not just start with addressing betrayal as the issue? Like, why not just give some good, solid biblical teaching on betrayal or even like to soften it a little bit culturally? Why not say something like to them, have you ever considered that betrayal may not be the best kind of thing that you can do? You know? Or betrayal's bad. Why not start there? Why, why wait? Why, why look for some other avenue in? So to use that as a question... I want to go. Want to go to Israel. Beck and I had the blessing of getting to be a part of a trip to Israel this last year, and I'm sure there's many of you in here who have had the same opportunity, and many who would love to go. And it was it was incredible. But one of the events that happened there that was unique was uh, it was something I didn't expect. We were in Jerusalem. We we're at the Israel Museum, and our facilitators were taking us through. And we came to this artifact that you'll see on the screen. It's called a stella. It's a standing stone, a grave tombstone marker. And it's from the 8th century BC, so it's about the time of the kings, the monarchic period in Israel's history. And as we, as we came near it, there's a, you know, there's a plaque that explains. And it says, this is a blessing 
on somebody who's died, and the blessing is from Yahweh and his Asherah. Yahweh and his Asherah. Now, for those of you who've read through parts of the Old Testament, you'll recognize Asherah as one of the foreign gods that Israel worships at, at times. And as, as we came to this plot, the professor there with us, wonderful people from LCU, said, so did you know in the Old Testament that God had a wife? <laughs> did you know that God had a wife? And for those of us who were off looking at other things, you know, we, uh, if we weren't paying attention, we were then paying attention. Right. But it's interesting, this, there's a passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 16, that says, you shall not place your Asherah poles beside the altar of Yahweh. Because apparently that was something that the Israelites found, uh, it was a temptation they found difficult to resist, placing their Asherah poles beside the altar of Yahweh. Now, in some sense, you know, this is, this is surprising, but in another way, it's, it's pretty it's pretty incredible. And as I saw it, I thought, thought, man, Israel is, you know, first of all, this is, there's some biblical concurrence here, evidence between what we have in scripture and then what archaeologists have found. But secondly, if you think about what does this mean, the Israelites were not monotheists at the very beginning, right? Israelites were not always, did, did not always just believe in one God. And of course we know that, even story told up here during communion. They're at the, they come out of Egypt, they're at Sinai, make a golden calf, right? So we know this is, this is something that, that takes place. But we also know that, that Israel ends up in a place. They move from, you know, there's, there's, there are many gods, they worship them, they sacrifice to them, we have those stories. But eventually they do get to a place where they say there is one God, right? There is only Yahweh. But this, kind of that day, it's like, wow, there is a journey that takes place here. Israel grows to know who their God is. Israel grows to know who their God is. So when I asked that, that question about the peace child and the betrayal, you know, why not start there? Well, at least, part of, at least part of the answer is when we look at our own lives and look at Israel's story is that God has to meet us where we are at some point, Right? There was sacrifice. There was these other gods, Asherah. God has to meet us and walk with us as we grow. So to, there, there's ways of talking about this growth, and, and we could take a long time talking about it, but stages, even looking in Israel's history, stages of growth and development, and each stage has values, and each stage has areas that need to be transcended and moved through. But summary, you know, we, we have Abraham, who, who he's part of a tribe and a family. And in those days, you don't, you don't leave your tribe or family. That was everything, right? That was safety, security. But God calls him out. The Spirit of God calls him out. And he moves to something bigger because sometimes we have to be moved to something new to bless the whole world. And then we have Moses. And now it's a bigger family and a bigger tribe. But now they're given the law, which is good because that's boundaries now. And that's security and tradition forms, which is also good. But of course, at some point, that can also become a hindrance, and Israel forgets what their, what their goal is. And so then we, then we move, the, the, the prophets come, and they call them back and call them out and call them forward and point, point towards something else, point towards the heart, and say, you've missed it, you've gone after the law, and you've missed the heart, and they point towards Jesus, right? And then we move to Jesus. And Jesus, when he's with his disciples, 
He's, he's teaching. And in Matthew 4, he, uh, he shares, he, I'll let you bring it up on the screen if it's there. He's saying many things, and it says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. And he didn't say anything to them without a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Now, the interesting thing in that passage, I think, is that he explained as much to them as they could understand. It's this idea like he had a whole feast of food back here and a whole lot that he could have brought out, but he brings out enough to eat for that day, enough that they can take in. You know, Jesus comes from this place called the Trinity where he probably has a few thoughts he could share that aren't going to make a lot of sense, right? So he gives, he gives enough to understand and walks with people. So one of the questions I think that we ask is, is how do we move? What helped Israel move from one place to another? What is it that helps us to move? What is it that helps us to grow? In Malawi, there's a beautiful expression of this idea. And it's, it says, Madzi Saiwala Kwawa. Madzi Saiwala Kwawa. Which means, water does not forget its path. Which may also need interpretation. That may not be straightforward enough. Which means, change is, change is difficult. Change does not come easily. Right? Or an expression we would have, old habits die hard. Water in a river will follow its path, will follow the path of least resistance until it's acted on by something outside, until something diverts it, right? In our lives, it's difficult to be moved at times. Unless something from the outside moves us, sometimes the Spirit of God, a lot of times the Spirit of God is always working, but sometimes it's a painful event, some sort of suffering or something that does eventually cause a shift, not always caused by God. But in all cases... Movement requires dying to ourselves. Jesus says, if you would follow me, you must die to yourself. So, in Israel's history, you know, what, what does this look like? Well, one day, several thousand years ago, Ezekiel is sitting by a river in Babylon, and he's, Israel is in captivity in Babylon. They're in exile. And he has this vision of the temple in Jerusalem, and he sees the presence of God there, because that's where the presence of God is. For Israel, that's where, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is there. The further we get from Jerusalem, the further we get from God's presence. But in this vision, Ezekiel sees the presence of God lift up and move from Jerusalem and come flying towards them in Babylon. And this is something new. Of course, God was the God of the whole world. But God's, you know, God's presence was in Jerusalem. So what caused that shift? What, what caused this vision? Well, it was, it was exile, right? One of the most significant events in Israel's history forced them to rethink their relationship to God and what God wanted from them. But as it did, God was calling Israel to something, something larger, something more expansive, more complex, but also more beautiful. God is not just there. He's here with us. God is, God is the God who cares about all people. So whereas in Deuteronomy 23, there's, there's a passage even that was mentioned in Terry's prayer. Not, not the passage specifically, but a passage out, saying that out, outcast people are not allowed into the assembly of God. Eunuchs and other people, they're not allowed in. But then Isaiah, several 
years later, many years later, looks back on that and says, there will be a day where those outcasts are included. There will be a day where the eunuchs are part of the assembly. And then in, in Exodus, Moses has this, this picture where he sees God, and he sees God's backside, and he hears, I am the Lord your God, slow to anger, gracious and compassionate. And then, then it's added, yet he will not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. But then Ezekiel, years later, in exile, after his vision, he says, everyone will be responsible for their own sin. The man who sins is the one who will die. Yes, there is consequence for sin, and we all know that. All of our sin, in, a, in, in some way, affects other people. But it's not God punishing those other people now. You know, it's a shift, a, a step forward, a change into a bigger, more expansive view of God and what he's doing. And so we come to Jesus, and Jesus actually kind of takes up that, that same question. They bring a blind man to Jesus and say, what, who sinned, this man or his parents? You know, that he was born blind, which is an interesting question, because if it was the man born blind, then it was before his birth somehow. But all the same, it's almost like they're asking, is, is it Deuteronomy, or is it Exodus? Is it Ezekiel? Which one is it? And Jesus says, it's neither, right? This was done so that this man, so that God's, God could be glorified in this man's life. Something different, something bigger, a step forward. And Jesus did a lot of things, obviously, that we know, to, to challenge culture in the day. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He included women as his disciples and lifted, elevated women in a culture that didn't. He said things like, unless you've seen me, you've never seen the Father. You can hear the Pharisees saying, what? What about Moses? What about Abraham? John says, for, for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Like something new has come with Jesus that we didn't have before. Some new picture. In all these, though, it's this picture of God's spirit from the beginning, having worked, having moved. God's love, caring about people, moving people to a greater and deeper understanding of himself. So when Beck and I moved to Malawi, Nami Congo was just celebrating its 50th year anniversary. So God had been at work in Namikongo, at Namikongo for a long time, and in Malawi, you know, forever. But while we were there, Braylon, our son, became really sick. And to the point where he almost died, and it was a terrifying, it was a scary event, but we medevaced him to South Africa, and long story short, he's okay. You know, he's here. But when we got back to Malawi, a couple weeks later, I was back in the office, and we were having a meeting with church leaders who had come together, and this was a routine thing that we did, and every time we'd come together, we'd share our testimonies and our stories, and then study together. And I shared this about Braylon, and just said, you know, it was scary, but we're, we're so thankful that, that um, you know, God was there, and that he's okay. A couple people after me, a, a man named Leonard Muhangro shared his story. And he was kind of somber looking that morning. And he said, brothers, I'm very sad to share this with you. But last week, my son died. And I, was, I remember sitting there thinking, oh my goodness. You know, I had just had this scary but different experience. We had the ability to get to South Africa. He didn't. His son passed away. Mine didn't. 
And I also thought, Leonard, like, how are you here with us? This was just a few days ago, and it's a 12-hour overnight bus ride to come be here. Like, how are you here? But one, one of the things about African culture that, that's amazing and that we in Western and I in Western culture could learn from is how to move through death well. But, even, but Leonard more so as a man of faith because he, almost as if to respond to my question, he looked at the group and said, brothers, I had to be here. God is my strength. And being with all of you encourages me and reminds me of my faith. Now, I tell that story, obviously not to say that that God had anything to do with his son's passing, but because we all got to be a part of that journey with him, it was another one of those moments. It was, it's an exile type moment, and I know there's plenty of us in here who have painful stories this last year, in maybe right now, even being dealt with, but part of, part of the, part of the issue with, or part of the thing that we know is that we don't know when these will come, right? We don't know when these events happen. We, we, had, we all dealt with COVID in the last several years. None of us expected that. And it was painful, but it shifted things too. You know, before, nobody ever believed that you could just work from home. But now that's, that's kind of normal. But we don't know what else is, is coming in the world there's, there's war happening. We do know elections are coming, and we know how polarized our nation has been in the past it, during COVID and in past elections. So the, but the question we can move towards is how do we respond? How do we start responding to these events? Is it, is it a time where the church, we individually can be light and love, or do we resist? And do we push against these things that come? Jesus Jesus has something to say about this among the many difficult things that he says that even today, you know, we would still struggle with. He says, you've heard it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, one way I've come to understand this is to say, do not resist the evil situation, the evil person want to use that word, whatever it is that comes in your life, welcome it and receive it and transform it. Because we look at Jesus and see what he did on the cross. And is it not the same thing? He goes to the cross and he takes all of the evil of the world into himself and transforms it into forgiveness and into mercy and into love. And so he calls us to the same thing. And there's a simple prayer that some of you may know. Uh, it's called the welcoming prayer. And it's just a simple way of daily receiving those moments that we don't know are coming. And it just simply says, welcome, welcome, welcome. Father, I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it is for my healing. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within me. But just that simple welcome, welcome, welcome. A stance, a, a posture of heart before God. So I know, I know this was a lot. We've gone through quite a few different scriptures and um, Becca sometimes reminds me that, that maybe not everybody enjoys going through all the scripture as much as I do, but it's a, cool, it's a cool picture to see. And cool may be a weak word there, right? This idea of God meeting us because, because it's our journey too. These are other stories, but this is our, this is our journey. And this is the church's journey. 
And I was talking with Doyle before this a few days ago, and he just kind of said, I wonder 100 years from now, what are going to be those things that the church is going to look back on us now and say, wow, how did they ever do that? What are the Asherah poles next to our altar of Yahweh? What are those betrayal as hero type values that we have now that we don't see? Right? But part of the journey is walking with God, walking with hearts that are receptive and open to see what he's doing. And I think one of the greatest blessings is getting to walk with others on that journey. So I want to close with a story here. We were in Malawi, had been there just a few years, and one evening I was sitting out in a village. We had just done a series of teaching all afternoon, and the women weren't as much a part of the teaching because they were out preparing food, which we were at that point now eating, and there were several congregations together, but it was a, it was a summer, it was a hot, there was a hot wind blowing, and there were chickens running around, and there was dust. But we men, several of us leaders, were sitting in a circle, and we had just been brought food, and we were chatting, but it We'd kind of gotten to a place where there's nothing left to say. The women came and took away our plates, and then they washed all of our plates there, right, right among all of us. And the men of us, for 30, 45 minutes, just sat and watched all of this. Now, I, I started to get uncomfortable, and I felt awkward just sitting there watching. So I leaned over to my coworker, Simon, and I said, Hey, Brother Simon, should we help? And he kind of just looked at me with a smile. A smile that said, he understood what I was saying, but also said, Ben, don't move. <laughs> don't do anything. And that, that's just culture in Malawi, but I was new there, and so I remember that. But Simon and his coworkers had already begun working on something, because when I first, when I took first site visit to Malawi before we moved, as I was getting ready to leave, one of the staff members grabbed me and said, now you're coming back, right? I said, yes, yeah, we plan to come back. And he said, when you come back, we all need to do something for our women because they are overlooked. Because similar to Jesus' culture, women are not, do not have a high place in society. So fast forward eight years later, and there's a lady named Elizabeth Jack, which you can see on the screen here. She leads a women's Bible study in a rural village in Malawi, and Malawi is one of the poorest countries in the world. And together with this group, she, she leads a, a microfinance initiative that allows people to save money, to take loans, to invest and, and start a business because there's no banks out in the village. She had come to Namikongo about two years ago with her husband to be part of Namikongo's first discipleship training cohort. And because of the vision of people like Simon, people like Leonard Muhango, even though it's not a staff member, was part of this initiative, who said, we need a place where men and women can train and study the Bible and spiritual leadership and ways of engaging their community. Because, because of that vision that they had, there's now a place where women like Elizabeth can learn, and her husband, and they can learn the tools together, and they can see the similarities between their culture and the culture Jesus lived in. And now she's back, in this village, and the Church of Christ that they attend hosts this group, that they, this, this Bible study group. And I was just talking with a staff member the other day, there's people from the community now asking to join and be a part of this group, non-church members, because they've seen the love and they've seen this, this step forward that's being taken and they want to be a part of it. 
And so because of the vision of people within the own, their own culture, within Malawi, and, and with us, sometimes it's helpful to have somebody from outside. We can see things, but it's all part of the kingdom of God. But because of that, you know, there's a place now, there's a church that is revealing and showing the love of God and has a door open to share the gospel. But, you know, I hear that, and I get to see that and walk with that. I say, that's a journey, right? That's movement there. That's a step forward into something bigger and more expansive and in ways more complex and more beautiful. I want to ask the elders and the praise team to begin coming forward here. I'm sure all of you have stories that you could share of how God has moved and expanded you. And so I want to ask, you know, what, what is it about your journey? What, what can you share? Maybe we've been talking about sharing Jesus. Maybe there's, maybe there's a friend or a coworker who you've wanted to share with for a long time. And of course, you can always be afraid of how that might go. But think about the Richardsons. And how they moved all the way across the world to share. And it was failure at the beginning, right? But the Spirit of God was there working and doing something. And somebody, that, that journey had to start somewhere and it had to start with someone. Or maybe, maybe you feel like you want to be a part of the, the beauty and the culture of the nations in some way. And so maybe it's, maybe it's thinking about moving somewhere. Or maybe it's here. You know, there are 10, 10 ethnic groups in Malawi. You know how many are in Amarillo with all the refugees we have? Over twice that, at least over the last several years, over 20. So the nations have come here. But whatever it is, you know, I want to encourage you to be attentive. As I encourage myself, be attentive to the Spirit so that whenever those moments come, whatever it is, that we're, we're ready to move. So as a blessing in Chichewa over us all, Ambuye Atidaritse the Lord bless us all in the name of Jesus. Thank you.